Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are getting started with a quick little note that I want to share about something that keeps coming up on social. It is it is this idea that the Browns should have shut down Baker Mayfield against his will. You know, I think what you have to read is the actual quotes from Stefanski and Baker to understand the process with all of this. So Stefanski adamantly noted several times that every week was judged individually and Baker, the medical staff, multiple people in the medical staff, opinions from above the in-house Browns medical staff and the entire organization came together on this decision. Now, again, Mayfield said some accountability needed to be put in his lap too. Right, He said, if I can't play, I'll take myself off the field. If I'm ever hurting this team and for people to question that, it's downright wrong. He got defensive. He said, I decide if I play. So if your take is the Browns should have decided to pull him anyway, who's to say Mayfield goes and gets surgery? Who's to say he decides to do what they're asking him to do? He clearly wanted to play. He clearly wanted to put film on tape for his team, his contract situation, all of it. The Browns did right by him to grant him that ability. Some teams are trying to look at the situation that came out tonight with Antonio Brown. How Antonio Brown says the Buccaneers were downplaying his injury, making him take shots, going against the player's will, asking him, demanding of him to go in the game. That's not the situation for the Browns. Now, as you look back on it, the way Mayfield played... Could you sit here and say, well, it would have been best for everybody if they just got the surgery early? Of course. That's obvious. But what they kept seeing is that Mayfield was cleared medically. He was he was urging to play. He wanted to play. And he was practicing well. If he was performing poorly in practice, he wouldn't have been playing, period. So, like, this notion that Kevin Stefanski is to blame for Baker Mayfield playing these games like it's against his will or he should take a leadership role and force him. Do you know how ugly it could have gotten? And I'm sure that this this was discussed. You cannot say it wasn't discussed. They're going to there there was clearly a suggestion from the Browns about what is best. You need to get surgery. Here's how you can do it. Do you want to do it? Mayfield says no. Okay? So are we going to bench him? Because he's going to dress. He's saying he's ready to play. And you know how many of upset you would have been if they're 4-7 and seven and Mayfield's just standing there in his, in his uniform on the sideline and they won't play him because he won't go on IR because he doesn't want to shut it down? He's telling the media he's healthy enough to play. Stefanski's telling the media, oh, well, you know, we just don't want to play him. Okay, what? What? Like, that's lunacy. Do you, do you know how ugly that would have turned? You know, the Cardinals took Kyler Murray, that situation. Kyler Murray willingly sat out. He didn't want to play. He wanted to heal. Mayfield wanted to play. He was the best physical skill set option for them, and he played. And if you're playing, you have to do what the scheme is asking you to do. They ran the ball plenty. Top six of the NFL running the football. Okay? That's not even including any quarterback runs. They ran it a ton. 
They are also dealing with injuries to, to Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb throughout the year. Like, to sit here and say that the Browns should have pulled the plug on him without Mayfield telling them that he was willing to go get surgery or go to Iowa is lunacy to me. It's lunacy. The season didn't work out. You're pissed. I get it. You want someone to blame. Blame the injuries. That's it. That's all you have to do. It doesn't have to be blame somebody, right? If you don't want to blame Baker Mayfield because the injuries took away his performance, blame the injuries. If you don't want to blame Kevin Stefanski because you see all the open opportunities, blame the injuries because Mayfield can't get it done or whatever. I don't care. But to act like the Browns should have taken him off the field, forced him to get, you can't do that. You can't do it. You're living in fantasy world, man. Stop. They have to all come together to make a decision. Does the player want to play? Yes, he's demanding to play. Clearly demanding to play. The medical staff is clearing him. Can't get any worse. We'll put a harness on it. We'll do right by the medical side. Can't get any worse. Okay? Is it cleared by ownership and other people involved? Clearly it was. He's going to play. You're pissed the year went poorly, but you don't need to look back and blame somebody for Baker Mayfield playing. That's just silliness to me. So... Anyway, moving on, the podcast today, I think it's a great episode. We have uh, a typical Behind Enemy Lines uh, show that we do on Thursdays, but this game is, it's a, no, it's a nobody game. I mean, Baker's not playing, they're, they're, already, they're already sitting out people on the Cleveland side uh, that won't be involved. I'm sure more will come out by the end of the week. Uh, the Bengals side, Joe Mixon's got COVID-19. I think Trey Hendrickson does. he got a whole bunch of COVID issues. And Joe Burrow's not playing because of the knee. It's a throwaway game for both teams. So what I wanted to do was bring on somebody that I really do enjoy uh, to get his opinion on the on on this this team the Bengals have put together, where they're going because they're you know they're the division winner. They're the team Cleveland has to push up against here to get to where they want to go in the next few years. So there's some important topics I think about the future of the Bengals, their immediate season results, stuff that's interesting to talk about, key decisions that were made in the offseason, people doubted how those went, you know how those went, how Joe Burrow's played, the receiving core. And then some of the future stuff too. So uh, let's get over to that interview right now. I think it's a it's a really good one. His name is Jake Lisko. Uh, does a great job for uh, Locked On Bengals. And if you want to follow that pod, feel free to follow that pod. They do great work. And James Rapine's involved in that one as well. James used to work up in Cleveland at ninety two point three. Those guys get together. They do a daily pod on the Bengals. If you ever get interested in that sort of thing, it's out there. Let's get over to the interview with Jake right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jake, so excited for you to join us, man. Listen, you AFC North champions, 
You know, it's hard to get the time of day with you guys. How are you, man? I'm doing well also, Jake. It's been a long time, I think, in the making for the two of us to finally get into one of these virtual audio rooms and have a conversation. Yeah, Jake Squared. I think we can we can make this thing work in a game that I'm sure your fan base doesn't care much about, having clinched the division, and I know that Browns fans are just eyeing the offseason already uh, as is almost second nature sometimes, but it's 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 a conversation I wanted to have with you about some important things the Bengals have done. Like I said, we're not going to spend time with this game because it's clear that Joe's not playing. The Browns put Mayfield on IR. It's it's a game. It's a throwaway game. It's going to be a lot of practice squad guys. I don't think many listeners are interested in that, but what they are interested in is the Bengals and the decisions that I think were questioned a little bit at the beginning of the season that worked out. I thought maybe, Jake, you could walk us through some of those. The big ones that stand out to me, and you can throw in some others as well. Obviously, taking Jamar where you took Jamar, that's that's huge. Uh, I think another one, too, is uh, it, it, from the Browns' perspective, going out and beefing up the interior, getting Larry Ogunjobi worked out. Trey Hendrickson stuff started to become a little, I, I, I think from the outside looking in, seemed to be second-guessed, letting Carl Lawson go and bringing in Hendrickson. I, I'll open the, the floodgates to you, though. Talk, talk me through the guys they brought in that have worked out that maybe folks didn't think they were going to work out. I feel like their offseason acquisitions this year are batting a thousand, mm-hmm. uh, at least in, in free agency on the defensive side of the ball. But but starting with Jamar Chase, if if you listen to the Locked On Bengals podcast, which I imagine many of your listeners do not, but if you listen to James and I talk over the course of, of the offseason, and as we were getting into draft mode about two months ago, a year ago, a year and two months ago, you know, we we were in draft mode as soon as Joe Burrow went down. Mm-hmm. At first, it was like, okay, how are they passing on Penesul? Maybe they can't take Jamar Chase. Maybe they should take Jamar Chase. And, and then the the plan for us, for the Bengals in the offseason, was to do what the Chiefs did to their offensive line and also draft Jamar Chase. And they only did one of those things, but turns out Joe Burrow's pretty good at quarterback and is pretty good under pressure and is pretty good at getting the ball out on time to hide the offensive line. So what Jamar Chase has done, that decision is, I think it's done a few things. One, I, I think it's really unlocked Joe Burrow's deep ball. It was a problem for him his rookie year. And I'm sure it would have gotten better this year either way, just because he was so good at it at LSU. But one of the reasons I think that he was so good at it at LSU is because he was throwing to Jamar Chase, who, as it turns out, is one of the best deep ball receivers in the world, in the NFL, in college football, whatever. He, he's one of the best at it. And he's also shown in more recent weeks a completeness to his game that I think has been very exciting for Bengals fans, maybe terrifying for everyone else. Just the the things that he's been able to do after the catch, yeah. which has kind of been there, but has been featured a little bit more in recent weeks, uh, is really exciting. So I think that Jamar Chase has really unlocked some things for this offense, has changed the way that defensive coordinators have to defend the pass against the Bengals have to defend in general against certain looks and certain personnel groupings that the Bengals put on the field. And there's a lot of potential there going forward. I I like the way that Eric eager from PFF put it, where he talked about the, the fat tail of variance with Jamar chase. And the, the upside is what we saw against the Kansas city chiefs, where he has a chance to with Joe burrow, essentially single or double handedly. If you count both of them, when you football games, whereas an offensive line is going to be steady, is going to certainly add value, but doesn't have that that high upside the way that a guy like Jamar does. Now, they didn't do the other part of the plan that I mentioned, which 
I think they needed to do more on the offensive line. We're again heading into an offseason where Joe Burrow has taken 51 sacks. He's been hit about a billion times and he's got a hurt right knee. Real Left quick, real quick, Jake. I want to ask you. I, I want to ask you about one thing because I do want to dig in the O line. Was yeah. there ever a flicker of doubt about Jamar? Because some things started rocky. Preseason was rocky. I think like people, the, the, a lot yeah. of drop balls. I even tweeted about it. But like, was there ever like a flicker of doubt of like, mm, maybe this isn't quite who we thought he was? The year off, the all of that. Did that ever creep in, or was it just now nah, you'll figure it out? It, it did for some people. It didn't really for me. Yeah, personally, I, I, I kind of had the maybe it'll take him a little bit of time. There might be an adjustment period. He's 21 years old. Most 21 year old wide receivers don't hit the ground running. And, and so like to that extent, there was potentially that thought in my mind. But in general, I thought that the body of work at LSU was was far too strong and wasn't really an anomaly because the guy is a freak athlete, too. Right. And, and yeah. usually when you have that kind of production at that age, and, and it's not like you can say, oh, and he had that quarterback because he has that quarterback. And so, you know, all these things taken together and the the very early, e- even with the drops in the preseason, the, the chemistry between the two of them was something that was talked about frequently, I think was pretty apparent. They're, they're close friends. And I think that all of those things have played out pretty well. Yeah, dig in on the O-line because, I, I, you know, that was the the joke is, well, they took Jamar Chase. Most people think he's going to be pretty good, but they have nobody to protect him. You already touched on it with Joe Burrow and how Joe has figured out how to help him. Joe's in the early stages of that. I think Joe has shown a ceiling that does involve the ability to take a no-name offensive line and eventually make it work. I do what I would imagine, Jake, and you can. I'm kind of answering for you. You can correct me if I'm wrong. They still want to get much better up there. They're still going to invest in that. Jonah Williams has been pretty good for him, I think, for the most part. Talk about that group and what they've done this year and where you think they're still going to try to improve. Yeah, so Jonah Williams, as you said, is is the one starting caliber for sure, starting caliber going forward offensive lineman that's part of the future on this team. And then Riley Reef, the right tackle they signed in free agency, was fine, but then he got hurt and he tried to come back and then he aggravated the injury and now he's done for the year and won't be back for the playoffs. So instead you've got Isaiah Prince, who was either a seventh rounder or an undrafted free agent at right tackle. He's backed up by Fred Johnson, who maybe should be starting at right tackle, but that's neither here nor there. You've got a couple of guys that don't really have the pedigree on the other tackle spot. And if Jonah gets hurt, then, you know, there's nothing. It's it's Fred Johnson backing up left tackle. But on the interior is where the issues really are, in my opinion. Quentin Spain sprained his ankle uh, last week. He's been okay this year. He hasn't been as good lately. He had a great start to the year though, was, was really solid in pass protection for probably the first 10 weeks or so. Maybe he's worn down a little bit. He's going to miss a couple weeks. He's also on the COVID list now. So hopefully he gets healthy in time for the playoffs. Jackson Carmen though, who they drafted in the second round. I mean, he's 21 years old. There's room for him to get better. There's time for him to get better, but so far I would say it's been a disappointment, especially in pass protection and just in general, really inconsistent plagued by hand placement issues, I would say. And, you know, clearly has a lot of raw power, but but really needs to refine technique and and refine the mental aspect of his game, in my opinion, because it's just not consistent. Trey Hopkins at center has been okay, has been getting better. He's coming off an ACL tear just over a year ago. It was in January, maybe about a year ago now, by the time people are listening to this. Uh, and, and you could tell that he was coming off an ACL nine months prior at the beginning of the year, but he's been a little bit better as the season's gone on. And 
And right guard, it's been a litany of guys this year. None of them have been great. They're currently on last year's second, sixth round pick, Akeem Adenogy, right? And so none of these guys inspire huge confidence. And the, the thing for me when I looked at it, and I looked at it this morning, I, I looked at Joe Burrow's essentially like how, how much better he's been from a clean pocket. He In the last six weeks in particular, when Joe Burrow's really turned it on and has really put some distance between his own knee injury and the start of the season and, and last year, Joe Burrow is still in the last six weeks as the sixth highest pressure rate in the, in the NFL as charted by pro football focus. He's been sacked the most. So there's a couple things there, right? Like he needs to do better at protecting himself, but also he's still getting pressured a ton. At the same time in that time, he he's been fantastic. And in that time when he has had a clean pocket, he's got an NFL leading 120.9 passer rating, zero turnover worthy throws His clean pocket PFF passing grade, which, I don't know if you're a PFF aficionado. I take some things. I like their stable metrics. I really like some of the analysis they've done there. The clean pocket PFF mm-hmm. passing grade is said to be one of their most stable predictive metrics is, is first in the last six weeks by, by a full five points over number two, Kyler Murray and nine points clear of Tom Brady at number three. So, so what's the lesson there? Invest in your offensive line, keep them clear, keep them clean, keep them clean, keep them protected. And, and you've suddenly got like more athletic Drew Brees on your hand, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's where it goes if they can figure out protection. And if it's me, I'm looking for upgrades across the offensive line and I'm looking to spend the projected 60 million in cap space this year, almost exclusively on trying to improve the offensive line. Even though my very cursory look ahead to free agency is not super promising in yeah. terms of offensive line free agents. Yeah, so that's the question. So I'll, I'll kind of flip it. You talked about the O-line and, 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 and a likelihood of investing there. The weapons are obviously performing really well. I mean, we all knew uh, what they had at wide receiver, you know, even even before, right? Even before they, with Higgins and Boyd, we, we liked them. Uh, you know, from the outside looking in, I was saying last year that they had a dangerous group of, of wide receivers already forming. And you add Chase to it, Uzama's kind of come into his own. I don't, I'm kind of curious, like, do you think, and, and Joe's obviously signed for a little while, he's a perfect complement to to what they do in the passing game. Is that group entrenched for the next, it's, it's, it's certain pieces will go longer, but it feels like this is a good Joe Burrow rookie contract group that, that probably doesn't need much more added to it. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's probably a need for some depth at wide receiver, just because if one of those guys goes down, there's like nobody really... Yeah. Auden Tate's not going to be back. He's been hurt all year anyway. And really seems to have fallen out of favor with coaches this year anyway. Like he would have been the, the logical T Higgins replacement early in the season when T was battling injuries and just could hardly get on the field. So there's maybe like get a better wide receiver four kind of thing. But the core skill guys, I think, are are your group for the next two years for the Bengals. And, and it's going to be I think they're all under contract for that period of time through 2023. I'm fairly certain of that without without double checking Mixon, Boyd, Higgins, and obviously Chase and Burrow. And then at that point, you know, the the salary cap is probably three hundred million dollars and all these contracts are probably like fifty million dollars a year. <laughs> and we'll have to figure out what's going on then. Yeah, that that's kind of my point. You know, you know, there's stages to these quarterbacks, especially a guy like Joe. And, you know, it's never gonna be the, it's not a decade long. It's not the NBA. You don't get a decade of like your core, but you you figure it out as you go. It seems like Chase and Burrow are, are core pieces that'll go for a while, and then you're just kind of figuring out maybe you can keep Higgins along for the ride, and and that's where I was kind of interested in at least 
projecting the NFL so year to yeah. year that it's like you can look at a core for maybe two or three years, and that's why the Joe Joe's rookie deal they got a great window to capitalize on. Switch to the defense because it does feel like it does feel like a lot of those pieces were brought in for the short term, uh, not not a bunch of long term pieces, but. Which of that group are you most excited? We're not spending a ton of time on here. This is a, this is a big offensive podcast here, okay? I focus offense as often as I can. So uh, we'll, we'll talk a little defense, though. Which of those guys on that side of the ball give you promise that, like, this is a core piece for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think there's a couple, and I think they have some decisions to make because on the interior defensive line, let's start there. DJ Reader's under contract for, I believe, two more years. He's been great. He was a great signing when they – when they signed him, he had the the quad tendon blowout uh, in his first year with Cincinnati. He's been back and and great this year, playing really really good football. And so, you know, he he's I think a core piece. I think they do need a three tech going forward. I'm not sure if Larry Ogunjobi is that guy or not. Larry Ogunjobi is as you're probably very familiar with, as as a longtime Browns observer. You know, the, the flashes are incredible. They really are. They really they're are. they're few and far between. Yeah. And so, I, I don't know. I think there's going to be a tough decision there to make, especially because now he's a, a Pro Bowl alternate. He has seven sacks this year going into this final game. And if he plays, you know, pretty pretty decent chance, I would say, against whatever's going on in Cleveland, that, that he might get another one. Mm-hmm. But at that point, does he become prohibitively expensive for what he is? Because he he's out producing i would say his down-to-down performance a little bit this year bj hill who they acquired for uh billy price is for for a while was the guy that i was like yeah definitely extend bj hill this guy's solid he's a great rotational piece at the very worst but we're spoiled as longtime bengals observers by geno atkins having been one of the best three techs in the nfl for a very long time and i was just telling my podcast co-host yesterday Man, I miss Gino. And so I'm still looking for something there. I do think that Trey Hendrickson is obviously a long-term piece. He's continued to improve. I was amongst those skeptical of his signing. Uh, you know, he was another one of those guys that I thought the sack production outpaced his down-to-down performance in New Orleans, but that hasn't been the case this year. He's been a really good pass rusher and is creating a lot on his own. Mm-hmm. And that's been a pleasant surprise. So you know, I think they get him in his prime and he'll be part of the core. On the other side, they're really going to need Joseph Osai if they're going to have a pass rusher because Sam Hubbard, while he's a good player, is not a fantastic pass rusher. And in the secondary, Jadobe Awuzie has been the revelation. They they got him for three years, twenty uh, just under $22 million great on that contract. contract. Yeah, And I mean, he was coming off a terrible year in Dallas. He was injured. He's going to a new defense. But before that, he'd been a pretty solid player. He's a great athlete, and that has shown up this year. Chidobe Awuzie, for my money, and I haven't watched all these games, but I would guess has some of the best tape in the NFL against Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill this year. Devontae Adams, he has a pick going against him on, a, on an attempted back shoulder throw. One of the, what, four picks Aaron Rodgers has thrown this yeah. year was uh, a nice play by Chidobe Awuzie there. Not a great throw, but... Nice play by Cheeto either way. And Devante had like 200 yards against the Bengals, but when he was in Cheeto's coverage, I thought Cheeto did a great job. And and Devante is going to get his, but I thought Chidobe Awuzie did a great job in that game. And against Tyreek Hill, against the Chiefs last week, I mean, A-plus tackling game from Chidobe Awuzie. The, the, they tried to get 
Tyreek Hill the ball in space a couple times and Hill uh Awuzie was just there. And mm-hmm. on another play in a slot fade, he followed him into the slot and he ran step for step with with Tyreek Hill on a slot fade, just like took the took the play away altogether and it was an overthrow in the end. But I mean he did a great job of squeezing him to the sidelines. So, you know, Cheeto's been really, really good. I think there's some decisions to make at the other cornerback spot. Eli Apple had a rocky start to his tenure and Cincinnati has been better lately, but as I've said on my podcast, I like what Eli Apple has done this year. I'd be happy to have Eli Apple back. I would not be terribly thrilled if it's all right, Cheeto and Eli, that's the plan. We're not going to put anyone behind you. Good luck. Have fun because I I just don't trust it yet. And and the other big decision is going to be Jesse Bates. He's definitely not been as impactful this year. I would say as he was in 2019, uh, part of that is the Bengals are playing a lot more too high, like the rest of the NFL. And I think Bates thrived as a single high safety, but just the ball production isn't there. He got a lot of pass breakups and, and had quite a few drop picks in 2019. And, and that sort of play hasn't been there as much this year has been pretty instrumental in run defense though. And I still think he's an important piece of the defense, but you know, those contract talks pretty publicly didn't go great last year when the Bengals were trying to get an extension done. And so I think that that is a big decision for them going forward as to whether or not they can come to a common ground on the value of Jesse Bates to this team. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good stuff. Good stuff all around. I, I, a couple questions as we close here, Jake. It's early. You're not even thinking about draft stuff, but you know, I just want to get a thought from you. Wherever they do end up picking, you know, hell, they could win the Super Bowl. Who knows? But if uh, if, if they if they get locked into that late later first round pick, which it seems like they'll be at the minimum uh, the later uh, group there. What what is what is something you're eyeing? What's a position you really eye in the draft for them? You know, I can confidently say for the first time in three years that I, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I, I've i started very, very cursorily to look at, uh, you know, the, the the later part of the first round. The guys that I have my eye on are going to be long gone. And, and that's, you know, Tyler Linderbaum and, and some of these other offensive linemen that are probably gone by 15. Yeah, uh, it's probably not in, in play anymore. There's also, the uh, uh, I think, a look at corner. Okay. It could could tempt them, and I, I think it sounds like it's a pretty good corner class. I know that a lot of Bengals fans really like Ahmad Sauce Gardner from the University of Cincinnati, and you could certainly see that if he's around when the Bengals pick. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, like I said, for the first time in a few years, I wasn't looking at the draft starting in November, so I'm I'm not terribly aware of of where the strengths of this class are quite yet yeah no i'm i'm not either i never even dig in until the season expires i made a rule about that but it is good to know you're looking to line you're looking potentially at corner those things could always align those premium value positions uh that cincinnati will need we'll close with this i think i think joe burrow has shown you you go into the year and you think okay we could be pretty good 
depends on the ultimate ceiling of your franchise depends on how good the quarterback becomes. Okay. You know, this not a secret. I'm just enlightening our listeners and Joe Burrow has shown you that, okay, this could be real. Like he's showing it need to see consistency year to year, but he's showing it. He's giving you a glimpse of what it can be at the bare minimum. And he's, he's performing really, really well. And there's no reason to think that it will go in reverse. So the question then becomes are the things around him good enough in the immediate future to win a Super Bowl, which brings me to the head coach question. In your opinion, is Zach Taylor good enough, innovative enough, creative enough, smart enough to be the guy to lead them there? Or do you think as they start to figure out this window, there might be a better mind to lead them? That's that's a really hard question, I think. You know, in the current iteration of Zach Taylor, I think he's still learning, honestly. I think he's 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 a relatively young coach, right? Mm-hmm. So he's made this point himself that, you know, he would like to think he said, and this is a a very close to exact quote, but it's a paraphrase. He would like to think the coaches are allowed to get better too. And I think he has improved some. I think that he needs to take another step Mm -hmm. if he's going to be that guy. But I would also say that for the most part, you know, I would say this team has shown up to play against some of the better coach teams in the NFL and, and to come back from 14 zero against the chiefs with whatever amount of luck you would like to ascribe to the Bengals in that game is a pretty difficult task. And and there was certainly some luck and some things that went their way. And, you know, that happens sometimes in the NFL, but I, I think that, I he he's he's definitely grown on me. It's really hard to come from the way he started in Cincinnati and, and to to put that out of your mind. But the the way that this team has rallied around him, you can believe or, or talk yourself into in, into thinking, at the very least, he could be the Mike Tomlin kind of head coach for this team. Mm-hmm. He he could be the the players coach, the the motivator, the um, the, the manager is, is he the offensive mind that they need the offensive innovator that they need? That is less clear to me, but that's his job right now. And I don't know that there are any plans to change that, even though I think a lot of Bengals fans would like to see him assume a pure head coach role a la Tomlin and, and sort of step back a little bit and, and try to find some dedicated, offensive you know let brian callahan call the plays let brian callahan have full control over the offense kind of thing Mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like that's imminent and so you know for for me zach taylor needs to continue to improve and the the good news is he has a great relationship by all accounts with joe burrow and those two can continue to grow together and i think you have to credit these guys in cincinnati brian callahan zach taylor dan pitcher the quarterback's coach for what Joe Burrow's done this year. I mean, coming off that ACL injury, he is playing for my money like the best quarterback in the NFL in the last six weeks, which for me is is when he really started to feel comfortable and in a couple of those games when they really started to open it up. So, you know, if they can fix some of the, the roster structure issues and improve in some ways that I think will really help this team from a from a player personnel perspective, then maybe Taylor is the guy, but Again, I, I think there's room for development. Yeah, it's it's just funny how your answer kind of echoes a lot of the things I feel about Kevin Stefanski. And if you get competent quarterback play, it changes your opinion of a guy. It really yeah. does. Because 
you're really only as good. You could be, there's levels to good, but to get to being a good air quotes, good head coach, you need some Jimmy's and Joe's and you better have one of them at the quarterback position or you're always fighting an uphill battle. It's just the way it is. The opinion sway from last year with Kevin to this year with Kevin is largely tied to one thing and I don't even need to go into it, but it's pretty obvious. So listen, this was great, Jake, man. I, I can't thank you enough for, for just the conversation. I mean, I know this wasn't a traditional show for you listeners, but I think Jake enlightened us on a lot of now and future things on the Bengals that we'll be paying close attention to. And I'm sure this won't be the last time we catch up with Jake. I do want to give you a chance real quick. Tell everybody where they can find you, because I think it's always good to find uh, division rival content to see, you know, kind of keep up. And I think you're one of the best ones doing it in the Bengals. So enlighten us on where we can read, find, listen, any of your stuff. Appreciate that. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Lisco, L-I-S-C-O-W. You can find my content to the extent that you can call it content at the Locked On Bengals podcast, which is our five days a week Cincinnati Bengals podcast. If you're a Browns fan, I won't hold it against you if you don't listen every day, though. That's okay. That's okay. They got this one to listen to every day, and then they can supplement it with a little Bengals content. So again, Jake, you're the best man. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. As always, guys, thank you for joining today's show and checking out the show every day. I'm still surprised how many of you are hanging around listening to this stuff as frustrating as it has been with the way the season closed. But it doesn't, you know, I know we're going to talk about some negative stuff with the situation around the Browns this ending year, you know, the way it ended, the way it wrapped, but there's still very, very high hopes for the future with a lot of this roster. So we're going to get to that too. I promise you we're going to get to that. So, you know, this is the last preview we had. I know it's a bit of a wasted preview. Maybe you don't want to hear a ton about the Bengals, but I had to do a due diligence to the schedule. I'll be letting you know the offseason schedule soon. Appreciate you. Chalk Talk is already up. Uh, if you wanted to see that from the other day, won't get to defense this week, unfortunately. But uh, I can tell you I'm going to have something uh, cumulative from the year on Baker and Stefanski and how it all came to be by Friday. So keep your eyes out for that on Friday. Thanks again for joining today's show. I'll be back with John Colosimo for your usual Friday episode tomorrow. Have a great day, and go Browns.